brought us into a place of righteousness, cleansed our sin, broke the power that it had over our life. And through relationship with you, intimately, personally, we might become all that you created us to be, as sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence amongst us, but we're so thankful that you live in us. You empower us every single day to do that which is right. Overcoming sin and its consequences and doing us with power to be witnesses of Jesus and what he's done for us. We're so grateful, we're so thankful. Put me on like a glove, God. Give me words to speak today. As of the oracles of God, help me today to speak as I ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. That we would be changed, we'd be transformed. There would be something in each one of us that would rise to a higher level of understanding, greater level of living in power and righteousness. Thank you that the sick, God, that you're working right now to bring about healing. That you have broken yokes of bondage upon those who are bound by addiction, by struggle, by offense, by worry. Thank you, the anointing destroys yokes of bondage that hold us from what you have for us. Thank you, you're present to bind up every broken heart, everything that the enemy has broken by life, by wickedness, by sin. You put it back together again. 100% whole. We thank you. Revelation will come of who you are, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and what you've done for us. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for everything that will be accomplished by you, your mighty power, and the word of God in every heart and in every life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Why don't you stretch your hands out here right now? Just There's a, a healing anointing here. We want to pray for this person with a concussion, a fractured shoulder. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the healing anointing. I thank you, Father. This cloth is laid upon their body, brought to them. The anointing escapes this cloth, moves in to their body. I thank you it will begin to move right into their head, begin to restore their mind, their memory, their thoughts. Everything that this concussion would try to damage or to take, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Command wholeness, clarity in every way. We thank you. You move through this shoulder and the fracture. You put it back together again 100% whole. We thank you for the anointing. We thank you for healing. We look for a good report. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. Why don't you uh, look at somebody next to you and say, Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Amen. You can be seated. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream. We're glad that you are with us this morning. I want to welcome everybody in the room. Thank you for being here today. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. Praise the Lord. I believe that God has some, some good things for us this morning, and um, they're pretty uh, awesome things. And so uh, just want to jump into them. First of all, just want to, uh, one announcement we didn't make, uh, there'll be um, another uh, men's group um, what, what did we end up calling that? What did we end up calling that? There you go. Oh, there it is. Man up. Uh, men's Bible study in the morning for breakfast at the Lazy Bear uh, restaurant in Newcastle from 6.30 to 7.30. So if you weren't able to go to the one in Rifle, uh, and there's a men's Bible study from 6.30 to 7.30 um, in Newcastle. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Open your Bibles with me to... Uh, Matthew, the 24th chapter. We are going to, uh, I thought we might conclude our, uh, praise the Lord, where am I at? I thought we might conclude our message on covenant connections. Uh, we'll just have to see about that, I guess. Praise the Lord. In Matthew, uh, chapter 24 and verse 10, and I'm going to have to navigate this this morning. I have stuff in many different places. And so Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10, we were in Matthew 24 last week. If you were with us, Brother Rick was here talking about the last days. And as we talk about the covenant connections and we're talking about the attributes in every covenant connection, covenant relationship that we have and, and really looking at these covenant relationships and the bond that they have, even the word of the Lord that came to us on January 31st uh, in, in our services uh, that came to us and how this year will be shaping up out in the world, but how the church will operate and live in the way that we ought to live, being that light in the dark place. And as Rick said, uh, all of the attributes of the church that need to take place, then we understand, number one, that we talked about the, these covenant connections, these three that we're talking about, our covenant with God, our covenant with our family, and our covenant with our church body, our church family, are very important relationships that exist. They're all based on the covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. And so they're connected in the way that God has them connected. We don't necessarily understand that. The enemy has been very uh, adept in breaking down uh, those covenant relationships, bringing them down to a human level, a human understanding. So marriages, even within the church, are, are, are you got about a 50-50 chance of your marriage working. Well, that never was intended to be so when you under, if you understood covenant relationship and how you come into that bond. Uh, the church, many people are coming and going from, from the church uh, talking about that. Well, if you understood, we were joined by the blood covenant of Jesus Christ, not by choice. It's not a social group where you just decide, well, you know, I think I'll be a part of that. No, you're bound when you receive Jesus by covenant and in that situation. And so, one of the bonds is certainly, it's transcendent. One of the characteristics, it's transcendent. So in all these things that we talk about, you have to raise your thinking. 
It's transcendent. That just means it's higher. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans are past us even finding out without the Holy Spirit. So, so when you come into it and you go, I don't understand this marriage thing. Well, just step her up. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal. I don't understand this church stuff. Step it up. It, you don't understand it with natural thinking. God wants to reveal it to us. And if it was just human, then it would be called Kiwanis club, it wouldn't be called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because man can think about having, it's just one of the social groups, sorry, I wasn't, just came to mind. If you're a Kiwanis member, it wasn't derogatory. Human social clubs do a lot of good work, but God says, I have something much greater and much higher, and it's not just simply a social gathering, although our social interaction, it's a spiritual gathering where he joins us together in fellowship, intimate, close koinonia with one another, that the life of God might flow in us and through us, and that the blood of Jesus Christ would move in the gathering together and cleanse us of all sin. So it's not understood necessarily simply with human means. It's transcendent. It's higher. So he said it has a chain of responsibility that God puts in order things to come down from the head, the word of God to come down and the chain of command so that the words spoken by God would be repeated and it would have the same exact power when it's transmitted, when it's communicated to the one who receives it from God, from man as if it were from God. So Paul said the church was being transformed because they received the word as it was in truth, the word of God, and not simply the words of men. And so it's transcended. It has a chain of authority. It has governing guidelines. We, we touched on this last time. I want to dive into it today. It has governing guidelines. And those guidelines for God's covenants are love and respect. Love and respect. And they work hand in hand. They grow. We may not get very much into the respect part, but if you begin to understand how deeply the love of God works in you, you cannot help but have respect and honor. As love begins to move through our being in the way that God intends for it to move. And really to understand in both of those are keys, covenant keys, to opening up and unlocking true relationship. We're not unlocking things in relationship because we dishonor one another. We're not opening up the key of honor because we're not loving to the depth that God really calls us to love. So just because we're going to talk about love, don't shut off your mind because the love of God is incredibly powerful in moving through the day that we live in. And so here in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10, you can read, there's many, many different things here. Uh, uh, Brother Rick covered most everything up to this last week, and I'm not trying to add to what he was saying. This just comes into the picture as we've been preparing for this. And he says, and then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end shall be saved. The love of many will grow cold. 
So he says, wherever there's lawlessness, and because it gets to this, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but man, things are getting around. And all of a sudden, we start to look around. We become suspicious. We begin to put our arms up because of all the things that are going around. And if we're not careful, our mindset will go to the place of, I'm justified in not loving because of the lawlessness. I'm justified because of things that have happened in my marriage for not loving. I'm justified because of something that's happened amongst people in the church for not loving, but that's really not what God has planned for us. Things are going to happen. People are going to make mistakes. Things are going to take place where there's evil, there's lawlessness around us, and he says, be careful that it doesn't cause the love that God put on the inside of you to wax cold. Because the key to us living above, us moving through the storm, us seeing everything that God planned for us to see, the key to that is love. Faith works by love. The gifts and manifestations of the Spirit are unprofitable, unproductive, without love. So we want the manifestations of the Spirit. We want to move mountains with faith. But if we live just simply by human love, we'll get confused because mountains won't move. And even though we may have a miracle, we may have a, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, we leave and we go out through our week and we forget totally about it. And then we look for another feel-good experience. But the love of God is something that will sit down and it will abide and live on the inside of you, and live on the inside of me, to be nurtured and grown and expressed and, and brought forth by the Spirit of God, not by our intellect, not by our emotion and our feeling, but by the power of the Holy Spirit developing a new creation on the inside of you by which its very nature is love. So turn to Psalms 136. Psalms 136. It's a pretty long one. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. But we're just going to make a point. And I'm going to try to get to the point where I'm not shaking. Verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him whom by wisdom made the heavens, and his, uh, for his mercy endures forever. He laid out the earth, for his mercy endures forever. He made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day for his mercy endures forever. And he gets pretty detailed. And he talks about delivering them from Egypt and doing all the great things that he did. And we read it and we say, whew, wasn't God nice? But many of you may already know this, but we're going to go into this. Here's what he really says. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his covenant love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods for his covenant love endures forever. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his covenant love endures forever. So we think about just mercy. I'll have mercy on me. But he's saying something much deeper, much stronger that includes mercy. It includes loving kindness. It includes a number of things. The word here is a Hebrew word, hased. And if you talk to a number of different people, they will just pronounce it in a number of different ways. But this is just the way I'm pronouncing it. Hased. So I'm just going to read to you a little bit of, I'm going to read a lot today. So um, just bear with me. But hased is a Hebrew word, and it correlates and parallels and is synonymous with our New Testament word, Greek word, agape. It's the love of God. Hased is not just a feeling, but an action. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Hased is not a romantic infatuation kind of love. It is a faithful, reliable love. When a wife prays for years for her husband to know God, it is a parent loving Lovingly caring for their autistic child. Hased is faithful. It is loyal. And Hased is love put to action. Most importantly, Hased is the unfailing love that God has for you. Hased is one of the most fundamental characteristics of God. Consistent with what we know about his covenantal nature. Hased is wrapped up in itself, wrapped up in itself all the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see Hased translated in a number of different ways: steadfast love, mercy, kindness, and goodness. While all these synonyms develop our understanding, they only just skim the surface of the multifaceted, rich word, hased. Normally, hased describes something that happens within an existing relationship, whether between two human beings or between God and man. In human relationships, hased implies loving our neighbor. Not merely in terms of warm emotional feelings, but in acts of love and service that we owe to the other person simply because whew, he is part of the covenant community. God's people are to do justly, to love or hased, and to walk humbly with their God. Micah 6.8 says, this is what God requires of us. This is what God requires of us. To love mercy, to do justly. Similarly, Hased can describe a loyalty to one's obligation to God. This includes faithful act, uh, actions towards other members of the covenant community. For how can we say that we love our covenant Lord if we ignore his commands to love our fellow, fellow members in the covenant community? The person who is Hased 
is loyal to his God and appeals to the Lord to show him similar faithfulness in return. The name Hasidism, Hasidim has thus been ascribed to the strictest Jews in contemporary Judaism. Yet the most precious use of the word in the Old Testament is a description of what God does. Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act towards them in certain ways, and he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment. So it says that God loved us so much. So even in the descriptions where we see the two blind men, blind Bartimaeus, crying out and saying, O son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped in his tracks. There's something that was going on that if you just look in the Western mindset, you don't understand what was going on. He basically said, you're coming. I know who you are. And have covenant love towards me. And the moment he called on covenant love, Jesus could not help but stop and heal the man. He said, what I have belongs to you. What you have belongs to me. So he said, what is it that you want from me? Because you've called on covenant love. Not just forgiveness, not just have mercy on me and forgive me. He called on covenant love. Covenant love. Turn over to, um, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. So Paul thought this to be incredibly, incredibly important to the New Testament church as he prayed for them. Most of you know these scriptures. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. The whole family, the whole covenant community is named after Jesus Christ in heaven and in earth. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length, the depth and the height. To know experientially the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He said, there's something in experiencing this love of God through covenant, through the understanding of the blood of Jesus, through the union, through the washing of the blood, the regeneration of the blood, what happened to you when the blood of Jesus was shed for you, that all sin that was destroying your life, all sin that had you bound, all sin that kept you from the will of God and the Father was all washed away. It wasn't covered up anymore. It wasn't just covered for one year. It was washed away. The comprehension that it was washed away the revelation when that comes that it was totally washed away. I'm not living in the past of my sin. I'm not living in the forethought of how it affected me. I'm living in the revelation that whatever happened to me had to be washed away with the sin that caused it to happen. My own actions, the actions of someone else that brought destruction into my life. God loved me so much that he sent Jesus. And when I accepted that blood, I entered into a divine covenant and that blood washed away my sin. It didn't cover my sin. It didn't leave it lingering somewhere. It totally 100% washed it away. It made me white as snow. It made me to the point that I would be immersed in him and him in me. And there would be no separation of that. That his life would become my life. 
and the enemy had no place in my life anymore. So every relationship of God that I have from this place comes from that relationship, free from sin, free from hurts and the wounds that were inflicted by evil, now washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. Come on, it goes beyond your feelings. It goes beyond your soul and understanding, and it drives right to your spirit and the life that exists right there. You can't comprehend it. You have to experience it to really know it. And to just say, I know I'm forgiven, but live bound is a human reasoning and trying to get it with knowledge. But he says, you've got to immerse yourself and know that you are free and know the love of Christ. Paul said, I'm trying to just get a hold of what got a hold of me. What got a hold of him was the love of Jesus Christ. He said, I've not yet gotten there fully, but I'm doing my best to attain to it because once I do, I'm pressing. I'm not, for, I'm not remembering what's behind me. But I'm grabbing a hold of what got a hold of me so that I might attain to the prize of the mark of the high calling. What is that? Christ-likeness. And the only way we can attain to Christ-likeness is to embrace the love of God. There's no other way to be like him than to embrace his love and to walk in it. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many times do we wonder and think about lack in our life? Think about all the things that we lack because of something that happened to us. Think that we can't do that. We can't express that love. We can't extend ourselves. We can't do any more because of the things that he said. Listen, this goes way beyond that. You're not lacking anything. You're not, you, somebody didn't empty you out that God couldn't fill you up. We just have to get our mindset. I'm full. Come on, you're just going to have to know you're full of it. Not as other people might say, but you're full of it. By nature of receiving Jesus, you're full with all the fullness of God. It speaks to covenant. Covenant says everything that I have belongs to you, and everything that you have belongs to me. The new creation in Christ. I'm in him. He's in me. We're engrafted. I'm full of his life. I'm full of his nature. I'm full of it. I'm full. Not I lack in any good thing. When he said you should lack in no good thing, he means no lack. It's challenged by lawlessness. It's challenged by wickedness. It's challenged by disobedience. It's challenged on every front. But he said, don't let your love wax cold. Keep intimate relationship with him. Keep it stirred up. Keep intimate relationship in your family. Keep intimate relationship in the church. Keep it stirred up. Because it'll give you breakthrough. If we keep saying, I'm lacking, you don't know what happened. I know, don't know what happened to you, but I do know what happened for you. The same thing that happened for me. He doesn't want us going back there. Because there's something in front of us that's more important than what's behind us. There's a healing and an understanding of the scars being totally removed that's ahead of you, unless you keep opening up by recognition the wound. Yeah. 
that happened to you. The story of testimony talks about healing, not about hurt. There's something in the idea of our story that we can hold on to our hurt and still have healing, but you can't hold on to your hurt and have healing. You'll be drawn and quartered by the two. And when the healing is totally manifest, it's very difficult to be reminded of the hurt that was inflicted because he is good and his covenant love endures forever. And when we experience that to the degree that I can't feel the wound for the love that has embraced me, I can't see the past for the future that is before me, our extension to one another becomes greater than we ever imagined and takes us into this place. He says it better than I can anyway. Now unto him who is able. Somebody say God's able. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 9. Paul again prays. He says, this I pray that your love, your agape, your hased, may abound still more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. Not what's popular, but what's excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled. Somebody say being filled. God denotes fullness, not emptiness. See, the world always wants you to feel empty somehow, lacking somehow. God said, I sent Jesus so you could be filled and know you're full, that you have something to give, that you don't say, I can't do that. There's not enough in me for that. Maybe you feel like you've emptied yourself, but then you should rejoice because if you've emptied yourself, you are a prime candidate to be filled with the fullness of God and filled with all the fruit or produce of righteousness that comes to us. The produce of his very life and his very nature that begins with love. That Hasid. Turn over to 1 John. First John chapter 4. In verse 7. Again, this is something that you're, is not new to you if you've been a Christian for a while. If you're new, maybe it is new to you, but this is the most extraordinary aspect of our Christian life is how much God loved us. He broke the power of selfishness that sin had on us so that we could love. Not just be loved, but love. It's extraordinary to experience the love of God in forgiveness, and in washing. But God says, I'll take it to a greater level than just experiencing somebody loves you, but I'll take it to the point that finally sin doesn't dominate your life and the selfishness and the hatred that goes along with it 
the weariness that comes from it, striving to be something that without God you cannot be. But once you experience the love of God and the cleansing, even the greater measure beyond that is the ability to love someone else in the same way that you've been loved. That means somebody who has inflicted harm upon you to be able to freely say, God, forgive them. I'm sure they don't know what they're doing. Because that's the love that he showed towards us. And that we have gotten to experience. Yet we hold against them, sure that they know what they're doing. So we don't forgive. And it hinders us from experiencing the fullness of God. For it's the fullness and the outpouring from our own life that causes us to know what fullness really means, that I have more than enough to give out of the very nature of God himself. I'm no longer restricted by the limitations that sin and the sin nature would put upon me, but I live with that broken and now a fullness of the nature of God that doesn't hold me back but releases me into the lives of others. And so 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I want to read something to you out of Kenneth Weiss' word study on this uh, seven and eight, it says, beloved uh, means, the Greek word means divinely loved ones. Divinely loved ones. Listen, God puts us in the same category. Uh, Addison Bevere in his uh, new book brings this out. He says, you know what? If we're gonna be like Jesus and really uh, God didn't just call Jesus, we get into that name. But when, G- when Jesus came up out of the baptism, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What set Jesus apart from everybody else at that time is he was the beloved son of God. But now John is addressing us as beloved children of God. We have had that love bestowed upon us. We are the beloved or beloved ones, loved by God. Those who are loved by God should love one another. The love with which children of God should love one another is the agape love which God is in nature. The love which is produced by the Holy Spirit, come on, the love that is produced by the Holy Spirit in the heart of the yielded saint. The love which was seen in action at the cross and the love whose constituent elements are defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Good thing to start meditating on. 
the elements, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The exhortation is in the present subjunctive, which speaks of continuous action. The translation reads, let us be habitually loving one another. The words one another are a reciprocal pronoun in the Greek text. There should be reciprocity in the exercise of this love. Everyone who habitually loves is born of God. And is born is perfect tense in Greek, literally has been begotten with the present result that that person is a child of God. The new birth is a permanent thing. A child of God remains a child of God forever. The one who is not habitually loving knoweth not God. Knoweth is aorist tense in the Greek text. Literally means did not know God. He who is not habitually loving did not know God. Vincent says he never knew. Smith's translation did not get to know. The verb is ingressive eris, referring to entrance into a new condition. As to the statement, and then we'll go on, into a new condition. It says, in other words, he that loveth not did not ever know God and enter into a new condition. It's very important for us to know because Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, many in that day will say, did we not cast out devils? Did we not heal the sick? Didn't we do a lot of things in your name? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Peter says, as his divine power has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And John is writing that if we do not habitually walk in love one towards another, we have not really known him and known his love. As to the statement, God is love, we would suggest that that simply is not true. <laughs> God is not an abstraction. The word God has the article, the word love does not, which construction in Greek means that the two words are not interchangeable. The absence of the article emphasizes nature, essence, and character. The translation should read, God as to his nature is love. That is, God is a loving God. It is his nature to be loving. And so when you look, and Peter said he's made us to partake of the divine nature, leaves us no excuse that if we're born again, we have the very nature that is love. That is love. Let's read on just a little bit further in 1 John chapter 4.
He said, in this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. When people say, I don't know if God loves me, John continually says, listen, there's no greater love. God sent his only begotten son. In other words, the translation actually says he sent off Jesus. He sent Jesus away from him to be the sacrifice for us, the propitiation, he's about to say, the propitiation. In other words, the only thing that could appease God is death for sin. The only thing that brought justice so God could show mercy was the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And the expression of that love, that, that hased, that action, love in action in sending Jesus to say, hmm, I don't know if God loves me, means that we are trying to comprehend through a human thought process what love is, rather than embrace by the Holy Spirit of God the nature of love that God has for us. Because if everything is about things going our way to feel loved, you'll question God's love for you. And it must have been a question back then because John had to say it over and over, in this is the love of God that he sent Jesus. He goes on in verse 10, he says, and in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that propitiation for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want to read again out of Kenneth Weiss word study of the Greek of this verse 11. So is hutos, and it refers back to the act of God sending off his son to become the expiatory, expiatory, expiatory or whatever, sorry, sacrifice for our sins. It was an act of infinite love and infinite sacrifice, not only on the part of the son on the cross, but on the part of the father who sent the son. For the heart of the father was pierced when sin was laid on the son at the cross. And his holiness demanded that he abandon the son. In the same manner, to the same extent, John says that the saints have a moral obligation to be constantly loving one another. The Greek infinitive, to love, is present tense in Greek, speaking of continuous action. The if is a particle of a fulfilled condition and should be since, not if, or in view of the fact. So since God did this for us, we ought, there's a Greek word, ophelio, which speaks of moral obligation. So as we talk about these covenant connections and how they're higher 
than any other relationship because they're God-created relationships between us and God. And the very mirror of that in Ephesians chapter 5, you already know this, husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Doesn't mean the wives are out of loving because this same principle starts to work that as the husband understands the love of God and expresses it, then she is to receive that and the same love that flows through her is to love back to him in this, this way of continuously loving one another. And then even so in the body, we are to be loving one another continuously. Continuously. But in the last days, lawlessness will abound. And if we're not paying attention and we're not careful, and we're not continuously loving God and practicing love one towards another, our love will begin to wax cold. When your love for God begins to be questioned and wax cold, then certainly in your marriage, your relationship is going to wax cold. Circumstances are going to happen, and the way that you loved one another in the beginning isn't the way you love one another now. You have up all kinds of reasons where, where, where I'm harder, my, my heart's hardened towards different things, but he says it, it's, it's not God's way. I have a plan, a higher plan for this relationship where two become one and they become stronger together than they ever could be apart. And they impart that to their children and they raise their children in that way. It's a covenant bond that your children are raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because this covenant is generational. It's not just for you. It goes to your children and your children's children. And what a a short uh, end of the stick we give to our children by just telling them to go to church and receive Jesus and not talk to them about this covenant love that God has for them that they embrace not the action of going to church but the experience the love of God that embraces them in one that they might grow up knowing their God and knowing that they are his people a generation that comes up not knowing God just knowing a group of people at church who don't even like each other is a disservice to the younger generation But to see a man and a woman who are totally in love with God and to love one another and go to a church community, a covenant community where we work together and love one another for a child that is revelation of what God intended to be. And so if necessary, it's time to rent our hearts. And ask God, if they've become hardened and cold, to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. That once again in 2024, we'd fall deeply in love, not with a mental, I love God, but to know and to experience the oneness of the love of God that would embrace us every single day continually, never forgetting how God has loved us in such a manner that he sent Jesus to die for us, to restore relationship that could never ever be broken and wash our sin away, that the guilt and the shame no longer dogs our tracks, but the love of God is what always continually pursues and overcomes us. That wherever we have not received that and are not able to express it, we rent our hearts to say, God, forgive me for not loving my family the way that I ought to. I ask you to forgive me. 
and for not loving you, church, the way I should have. Changes everything. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. The guardrail, the rule that governs this covenant. And I'm out of time. of it. To have breakthrough, to see the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit operating. Not just for a moment, not just for selfish means, not just to say, look at me, but God. Truly to meet the needs of others. The mountain-moving faith would become more prevalent, recognizable, than ever before because we embrace the love that causes it to work and be active. God causes us to comprehend this love, the fullness of all that you are and all that you have for us. Cause it to grow abound in knowledge and discernment that we see and know in conflict, in difficult situations, we would know and discern what is excellent and we would choose that because we honor you so much in the love that you have for us and that we have for you. make the right decision because we love people. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Beyond today, teach us. Not as if we know it already. Show us the things of the love of God that we've not yet seen. Speak to us the things we've not yet heard. move in us in ways that we've not yet experienced that we might see the overcoming 
ever conquering, triumphing nature and power of your Hasid, your agape, your covenant love towards us. That we might experience it, but we might go higher. Living in it and releasing it towards our covenant partner in life, our children, our covenant partners in the body. And thus as people of God showing a world that we are your disciples by how we love one another. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? If you need prayer for anything, there'll be altar workers up here to pray with you, to join with you. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the love of God. He loves you so much. He paid the price. God loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die for you. If you don't know that, there will be people up here to pray with you. Just say, I want to know that love of Christ. I've never asked him into my heart. And they'll pray with you. Today you can go, knowing your whole life is transformed by the great love of of Jesus Christ. Why don't you say this we go, what God did in Christ Jesus, far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at six o'clock tonight.
I'll rejoice and be glad, rejoice and be glad.